Can you imagine sitting in the pub chatting with your mates only to be interrupted by ads? Well, unfortunately, that does happen here at the Homebrew Pub because we're just trying to keep the lights on. However, if you would like to support us directly and get access to ad-free episodes of the Homebrew Pub, please head on over to our Patreon. You can find a link to that on our website, thehomebrewpub.com, and join our mug club. Again, our website, thehomebrewpub.com. I'll see you in the pub after the next couple of ads. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Homebrew Pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is made by a homebrewer. And on this ethereal plane, the Homebrew Pub will turn into the guest brewer's perfect brew pub. So please come in, grab a stool, and grab a pint. And this week, we welcome to the pub Edmund from California. Edmund, how Hello. are you? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing good. We're, uh, you know, I'm just glad. It's the end of my workday, so I'm just glad to be sitting in my fictional pub. Awesome. I haven't quite started drinking beer yet, but I'm thinking about it. Ah, uh, I mean, if you're thinking about it, you probably should be. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe after this. <laughs> uh, fair enough. I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible host, and cheers. <laughs> So thank you so much for um, reaching out to me uh, to come on. This it's always amazing when people like say, "Hey, I want to come on and, and talk beer." It it, uh, it it makes it feel like I'm doing something worthwhile. Yeah, it's lovely hearing people's stories about their journeys. Yeah, absolutely. And and what's been crazy is I've not had any repeats yet, which oh, is that's great. So awesome. So I think it just kind of speaks to you know, everyone's reason for getting into this hobby is different. Um, the way people approach the hobby is different. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just fantastic. Awesome. So when you reached out to me, you said that, uh, you had just finished your 11th brew. Yes. So I have been brewing, uh, for, oh, 14 months now. I've made 11 beers in that amount of time. Um, I first started brewing maybe 10 years ago, but I only did a batch or two and that was with some friends. Uh, I was lucky enough to move into a brand new house with my partner just over a year ago and I started, uh, taking it up again. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, and it's, it's been quite interesting. I have only repeated one beer in the last 11. Mm -hmm. Um, the first beer I brewed in this season was an alt beer and it was so good that i decided to come back to it very nice and and for those who don't know what is an alt beer an alt beer is uh alt is the german word for old uh it is an old style german uh it's not quite an ale it's not quite a lager a lot of folks consider it a hybrid Hmm. 
Um, it is, I think it's originally from the city of Dusseldorf in Germany, which I have not had the good graces to be, to be able to visit yet, but mm-hmm. it is on my bucket list of places to go before I die. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I, I went to Germany, I want to say I was 16, which is great because that's the drinking age there. Um, but I wasn't yet a beer snob, so I was with mm. uh, this family that uh, are friends with my parents, and they took me to some wonderful bars, and I know I had good beers, but looking back, I probably had some of the best beers in the world and just didn't appreciate it. I was like, I'm drinking. So, <laughs> so I mean, that, that kind of mimics my story, too. I was not into beer all through college. I hated it. It was too bitter. It was uh, too watery. And it just turns out that I was drinking the wrong ones. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely <laughs> hear you. Um, so with the alt beer um, being, people consider it a hybrid, is that lager yeast uh, is with with, uh, with like more Turo grain? Is it Pilsner with an ale yeast? So the recipe that I used and my, my initial approach when I first started getting back into this was just a copy, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea where I was coming from. So my idea was, okay, I'm going to find the beers that I like, and I'm just going to copy them as best I can. Uh, So the recipe that I found was about 72% uh, Pilsner, uh, 25% Munich, and just a a smidge. It was maybe a quarter pound. It was uh, 2% Carafa too. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then noble hops, and then the the yeast was a German ale yeast. I used a Y yeast, uh, one thousand seven German ale, mm-hmm. um, and that is a top cropping yeast. Um, the why folks consider it a hybrid is because of its long lager period. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was sort of an excruciating first beer to start with because <laughs> you know you start in December, you brew it. And then you just sit and wait and wait. And I, I was going to say, most wait. people start with either like a really basic porter or a really basic IPA that they can like be drinking within a month. Well, smarter, smarter folks than I. <laughs> that sounds... My, yeah. My, my whole approach was I wanted to be brewing things that I can't get around here yeah. um, that I, you know, that I know that I love. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't based on Alaskan amber, uh, that style of uh, sort of dark malty, um, but it, that is that is the style, alt, alt style. Okay, because I mean, I was gonna say a steam beer is when, you know, you're using lager yeast, but you're fermenting at ale temperatures. Yes. So it's kind of like and the that inverse is, yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and and that's been a, a big influence on me too. Um, learning and over the past year I have learned where all these different styles come from and oftentimes there's really good reasons why they were brewed the way that they were um, you know alt beer is old enough that it predates refrigeration by you know hundreds of years perhaps <laughs> um, and so they were limited by what they could do um, those uh, you know the the word lager was used to refer to these the storage caves where they would put their beer over the summer mm-hmm. um, because Germany gets so hot, you know, and uh, they were just doing the best that they could. Um, it's been sort of fascinating reading about the history of different styles and, and why they are the way that they are. Yeah. Um, and it's also, it's a big inspiration um, because if, if you learn that folks in the Middle Ages were brewing beer that they loved, you know, a home brewer can too. 
Yeah. Um, if Belgian monks can prevent spoilage, we can too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, I think the Reinheitsgebot, which uh, is something I, I gleefully ignore, um, was like the <laughs> first food quality law in the world. Yeah. Yeah. They learned that if you don't <laughs> adulterate your beers with all this stuff, they turn out pretty good. They're yeah. not, you know, nasty. Have you read, uh, I forget who the author <laughs> is, uh, but have you read The History of Lager? Uh, is that the title? I that, that's the title, so. yeah. It's it's a really interesting book, and um, I'll put a link to it in, in the show notes because uh, I think if you, especially now people are turning away from just over hopping everything uh from ipas and actually getting back into lagers uh it's a really great read mm. it sounds it sounds very interesting yeah i, I know a lot of folks are, are turning down the lager path mm -hmm. and i love it i'm for it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing you mentioned in your email is that you're doing uh no chill brewing uh no yeah that is the yeah well, no chill brewing i was trying to, to make sure i said it right um so what's the uh i mean obviously saves a ton of water because i always feel guilty with the amount of water that comes out of my um immersion chiller um but what's the process for that so uh the way that i have come to understand it is that if you can prevent bacteria if you can prevent germs from entering your vessel uh, it doesn't matter how long it takes for that vessel to cool down to room temperature. Mm -hmm. So I've seen no chill be done in a, in a number of different ways. And the way that I've come to it is I take my big old stainless steel pot. It's a 15 gallon pot. Um, I use a Bruna bag method. So I'm dunking my grains mm -hmm. um, and then pulling the bag out, set it on the boil. When it's done, what I do is I seal that uh, kettle up as best I can. I physically tape it down. Oh, wow. Um, so that there is no space for air to enter. There is no space for germs to enter. And then during the colder months, so, you know, December to maybe March, I can just leave that outside. Mm -hmm. uh, and in a few hours, it comes down a pretty good amount. Uh, and, but by overnight, it's ready to go. That's awesome. Um, and my, yeah, my, my idea was exactly what you said. Uh, the amount of water that I was wasting on a copper, emerge, uh, copper immersion chiller was just it, it, unconscionable. Yeah. Um, I'm here in Northern California. We're experiencing a mega drought at the moment. And, you know, we're saving water on everything. I cannot bring myself to throw water down the drain just to chill my beer when <laughs> I can just leave it out all night and pick it up in the morning. Yeah, no, completely. And, I mean, no chill, I want to say... <laughs> If you want to look for um, the next steps in homebrewing, look to Australia because they've got mm. very strict uh, water laws there. And homebrewing there is very popular because um, the taxes <laughs> on alcohol is very, very high in Australia. So they've developed, uh, they've developed specific no-chill vessels. Uh, are those the HDPE, like, high-density plastic vessels? I believe are they are, yeah. About? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I have a, a fermenter made out of the same material. I haven't tried using it for no chill yet, mm -hmm. um, simply because it is so hot to move uh, wort into a plastic vessel. Yeah. Part of me is a little leery about it. <laughs> um, 
Because I, I don't, because I'm brewing a bag, I don't have a spout on my kettle. Mm. So if I were to move it, it would have to go through a plastic auto siphon, and that makes me a little uncomfortable too. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, this this summer I'll, I'll see what uh, what those Australians are up to. Yeah, now, as I say, I when whenever I'm looking for um, trends in home brewing, I'm always on Australian sites because those guys are just mm. so far ahead of the curve that I think I've spoken about it on previous episodes, but I have a firmzilla which is the pressure fermentation. Uh, so that's how I got into doing lagers because I don't have room for lagering properly, mm-hmm. um, which knowing that your first beer was an alt beer and you went for it um, <laughs> probably is terrible to you. But um, yeah, that came out of Australia or New Zealand and it's such a wonderful piece of kit. Oh, that's awesome. So you're on your 11th batch of beer. How have you um, approached you know basically learning to brew again after a 10-year gap yeah so i am guessing that my approach has been a little bit different a lot of folks start out with extract um because my first first beer years and years ago was with a partner who had brewed before i went zero to all grain yeah um i've never not beer brew in a bag um so that that has i think been a little bit different um, my approach since then has been to, uh, sort of bounce around and like I said, uh, look for, look for beer styles that are not very common. Mm-hmm. Um, being from Sacramento, being from Northern California, we have some of the best, uh, IPAs in the world, right? We're down the street. I, I would agree with that. Great Sacramento breweries. Um, you know, Sierra Nevada is just up the hill in Chico. Um, there's some great Bay area breweries and they all towards the hoppy IPAs. So mm-hmm. I figure as a newbie, I'm going to stay away from that. And I'm going <laughs> to go for the, the stuff that you can't get. Yeah. Um, I'm always interested in trying something new. Um, so of the 11, uh, maybe three have been loggers, and that's that's been about it. I've got a lot more on the docket for this year. Um, I'm hoping for a Vienna lager next, twelfth. Um, but I'm trying to kind of find that balance between keeping the storage space in the converted freezer in my garage uh, for, for a lager, but then also having space for the beer that I want to drink too. <laughs> <laughs> so if only three have been lagers, what, what kind of styles have you gravitated towards? So, um, great question. Um, because my journey has changed so much over the last year, I started off without touching the water profile in Sacramento at all. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to find styles that worked really well with Sacramento. So I tried an English pale ale and that turned out pretty well. I tried an American pale ale and that turned out even better. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried an Irish red, which is by far the worst beer that I've ever tasted in my life. <laughs> Not just brewed. It is the worst beer I've ever tasted. It is. It was, uh, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I tried uh, Munich Dunkel, which turned out pretty good with Sacramento's natural water unadulterated. Mm-hmm. And then I bit the bullet, I got myself some brewing salts, and I've been attempting to recreate uh, more appropriate water profiles for other styles. Oh, wow. Um, The most recent one that I did was a Belgian-style wit beer, and I did attempt to uh, change the water profile, I think, to good effect. I've only gotten good feedback so far. Are you using using Sacramento tap water, or are you buying um, distilled? 
my original plan was to not touch Sacramento's municipal water supply. Mm-hmm. Uh, the website for Sacramento's water is pretty detailed. You can get a lot of information on the, um, you know, magnesium content, salt content, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was originally not going to touch it at all. Uh, go- going through these different styles, it turns out that Sacramento's water is not great for certain styles of beer. Yeah. who would have guessed (laughs) um so it worked well with the pale uh it worked well with the the dark lager but then everything else was just kind of watery and flat it just felt like it was missing a dimension interesting Um, so to the to the wit beer i added uh gypsum chalk uh salt and calcium chloride and it made a world of difference yeah that's amazing. Absolutely, absolutely, night and day. It was—it's the difference between tasting a homebrew and tasting a beer that you want to drink every day. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I—I I, I think the proudest moment as a homebrewer uh, for me, uh, and I—I I don't treat my water. And I was talking to Brandon from Exit Twelve about it, um, about treating water. But the proudest moment for me is I've got friends who homebrew. And I gave them one of my beers, and uh, I think it was one of the first ones he had. And my friend Cody just drank and went, you don't have the twang. You don't have that homebrew twang. And <laughs> I know exactly what he means because uh, right? my, my, my friend and I, we brewed a beer together that uh, didn't go uh, well. And it could have been our water wasn't appropriate. It was a, a basically a, a, an old brown ale. And it had that twang to it, and we yep. we were drinking I know exactly it. Exactly what you mean. Yeah, we were drinking it. We couldn't distinguish it at first because, knock on wood, it will continue to be years again. But it's been years since we tasted it, mm. and we thought it might have been an off flavor. And in fact, we're like, no, it just tastes like we've done this only a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 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 And yeah, I mean, having done 12 in a year, it's like you really get your practice down and yeah. and hopefully you, you can find those little gaps that make the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think when I brew regularly about once a month, if not more, when I started getting to that stage, that's when my beers really improved as opposed to like every other month, every like eight weeks, like, hey, babe, can I brew this weekend? Um, yeah, right. Now <laughs> it's like, which weekend are you brewing? Probably this one and this one. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Gotta get a calendar. Make a calendar. Ah, <laughs> oh, you see, I just go with the breeze, man. I'm just like, eh, the, the mood is striking me. <laughs> so uh, oh. recently, I've been trying to back uh, plan. So it's like, okay, uh, St. Patrick's Day is coming up. What do I want ready for St. Patrick's Day? Cinco de Mayo is coming up. What do I want ready for Cinco de Mayo? Mm-hmm. And that's that's been a big help too. That's just, awesome. Just to help plan it out. Yeah. What, are you, what are you doing for those two holidays? Uh, I should have a Martin ready for St. Patrick's Day, which mm. I, I totally understand. Historically, Martins were brewed in March. I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Um, this one I wanted to be ready in March. Uh, and then for Cinco de Mayo, I am planning a Mexican-style Vienna lager. Ooh. And... It was inspired by a couple beers that I had in Mexico the last time I was there. Uh, Bohemia Oscura, which I don't think I've ever found in the United States. Have you ever seen that in the United States? I've never heard of it. So Bohemia is a 
pretty common Mexican export beer. It's uh, normally a Pilsen style, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But in Mexico, they have a style called Oscura, and it is a old school Vienna style lager. Very dark, very malty, but also it's got that kind of crisp, nice, refreshing Mexican lager. Um, so I'm going to see if I can uh, capture that magic. Nice. I love, I mean, what, what I love is that you're doing, um, you know, you've been brewing for a year and you're just on some of the hardest styles. <laughs> <laughs> like, good work. That is amazing. Well, what, I mean, once you get your equipment, there's there's a lot of experimenting you can do. And, yeah. you know, not everyone turns out well, but why not try it? What else are we doing? That's precisely. I mean, <laughs> it, it was funny at the beginning of quarantine how many people got either back into or into homebrewing. Because it was like, well, what else are we gonna do? Yeah, so well, six weeks feels like nothing when you're when you're sitting <laughs> at home. <laughs> so I would love to hear then the beer you are adding to the homebrew pubs tap list. So this may not be the best beer that I brewed, but it is definitely the beer that I am the most proud of. Uh, it is called Jagged Little Pale. And it is a Northern <laughs> California. Thank you. Amazing. <laughs> it is a Northern California style hoppy American pale ale. Ooh, nice. Um, it, it was inspired by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company and Lagunitas Brewing Company's uh, flagship pales. Mm -hmm. Um like I said, they're both just down the road. Uh, Sierra Nevada, if you ever get the chance to visit their brewery, is fantastic. Uh, Lagunitas, same thing. It is a, They have a beautiful beer garden. Food's not bad either. Mm -hmm. um, one's in Chico, one's in Santa Rosa, California, and they are worth the trip. Absolutely. They're, those are both bucket um, lists. Oh, they're fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. And sometimes at the tap room, they have stuff that you can't get in stores. Mm -hmm. um, so it's absolutely worth it. They're yes. totally great. Um, and the reason I'm so proud of Jagged Little Pale, not just the name, um, but because it is made with hops that I grew in my backyard. Oh, man. You were you just like <laughs> naught to 105 seconds. <laughs> Like I said, what else am I doing? But what else are you doing? And, I mean, California is, uh, I want to say California is pretty great for growing hops, isn't it? It used to be the the hop-growing region in the West Coast. Oh. Um, Sacramento was founded in the 1840s, and since the 1850s, the late 1850s, uh, folks have been growing hops in California and brewing beer with hops grown right here. That's amazing. Um, there are some local breweries, too, that still have hop yards. Um, Roost Dollar is what it's called. They have a hop yard right off the highway uh, on Interstate 80 between Sacramento and the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, so folks are still growing hops out here. Um, I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but a vast majority come from Oregon, Washington. Yeah, they do. Um, where it's a little bit wetter. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, we can irrigate here for, for foodstuffs and for hop plants. So yeah. I don't feel too bad using water. But um, I got some rhizomes uh, early in the spring last year, put them in the ground, and we got a, a very modest harvest. I'm not even going to tell you how much I harvested because it is such a small amount, but it was great for dry hopping this mm -hmm. uh, American-style pale ale. Nice. And what um, kind of hop is it? Yeah. 
Uh, so it was mostly Chinook and mostly Cascade. I hmm. tried four different varieties of hop. Um, those two were the ones that totally took off. Um, and you're not, I mean, most folks don't expect a big harvest in the first year. And this was modest, but like I said, it was enough to, to put a nice little dry hop note on the end of this pale ale. That's, that's incredible. So what were the, what were the bittering hops and, and maybe the, the aromatics? Yeah. Uh, so it was, uh, about 80% pale malts, uh, 7%, uh, crystal 10, there was just a smidge of uh, red wheat, a mm. smidge of Viking Munich, uh, and then a, even a smaller smidge of Caramel 60. Um, and then I used Horizon, Summit, and uh, Willamette in the boil. Um, so Horizon and Summit at 60 minutes, Willamette at 30 minutes. And then uh, there was even some Cascade at the Whirlpool. And then in the uh, dry hopper, I had Chinook and Cascade. Wow. I, that that sounds just delicious. And I'm assuming just a beautiful <laughs> color. <laughs> it was lovely. I love Munich malt so much. And if I can even sneak it into a pale ale, I will. Nice. Um, it just gives that little bit of extra body and flavor. And I just it, it drives me nuts. I love it. Um, we will put that recipe in our show notes that Edmund is very kindly sharing with us so you can brew and drink along at home. Um, that is probably going to go in my brew rotation, even though I'm not growing my own hops, um, because that just sounds like just the most delightful summer beer. Well, if I get a bumper this year, I'll send you some. How about Ooh, that? Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> So you touched on it a little earlier, so I, I'm really excited to hear about this Irish Red, which is the worst beer you've ever tasted. Not not oh, even yeah, brewed, yeah, yeah. tasted. The worst beer I've ever tasted. And I was so excited about it. Um, it was going to be ready at St. Patrick's Day last year, and it was so bad, I was so embarrassed about it that I didn't even tell people. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so this was this was before I was adjusting my water, so it was straight up Sacramento water. Um, it was nine, more than 90% pale, uh, 2% roasted barley, and about 2% uh, caramel 40 and caramel 120. And it just tasted like red colored water. It hmm. tasted like I just put red food coloring in sel in seltzer water and called it a day. Interesting. Uh, it's it's hard to describe the lack of dimension in something. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a void of a beer. Yeah. Well, um, I would say the overwhelming note, like the the biggest flavor note that you got from it, was disappointment. <laughs> I really want to enter a beer into a competition now and that be the only note I get. <laughs> disappointment. So, so a hint of sadness and a touch of disappointment. I, I cried not into my beer, but because of it. Um, what what do you think caused it? Was it uh, the recipe? Was it down to the water profile? Uh, what What, I mean... Yeah, that's a great question because uh, Irish reds are so simple, right? They're yeah. based on English style pails, which uh, I had done just before that. So I was coming off a pretty good tasting English style pale ale. Mm -hmm. This one, the I mean, the biggest difference was the roasted malt, but it wasn't enough to impart like a bad flavor. It imparted a nice color. Yeah, it was just so bland. And, and like I said, it's it's hard to describe a, a, a blank canvas. You know what I mean? 
<laughs> Did you forget the hops? I mean, I'm just fascinated. Ounce of Willamette at the at the 60 minute boil mark. It should have been about 18 IBUs. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think more of anything would have helped. It just wasn't. It was just super bland. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Did you... Irish Red is on my list of ones to try again this year, but I'm going to start from scratch on the recipe, I think. <laughs> um, I can send you my recipe for a hoppy Irish Red if you would like. That would be great. Because, yeah. I, I, I mean, there are some great Irish Reds out there, and there's some great American style Reds, too. Yeah. Th this was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, ironically if i want to if i tell you the name of it mm -hmm. i was hoping for a great red color i was hoping for a great taste i called it red giant and it was the teeniest tiniest oh, no. little beer i've ever made did it did it at least have good abv uh, no <laughs> <laughs> it was probably below four um, and typically, you know, the style is between four and five, so yeah. it was at the lower end. The color was its it, the only good thing about it, but it's like you pour it into a glass, you look at it, and then you just want to pour it right down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> or water the plants with it or something. I mean, maybe the plants would like a, you know, tasteless 4% beer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your hops suddenly get way blander. It's... <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they... Plants probably wouldn't complain about it. Yeah, I sure will. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are sitting here in the homebrew pub, the only pub in existence where every beer on tap is by a homebrewer and will magically turn into your perfect homebrew pub. So what is the name of your perfect pub and what is the vibe of it like? My ideal pub, and I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, first of all, we'll start with the name. My pub would be called Galileo's. Uh, Galileo, of course, is the famous astronomer. Uh, he's also the uh, the person that I named my cat after. Uh, my cat's name is Leo. We, uh, his, his full name is Galileo. We call him Leo. So you could call it Galileo's. You could call it Leo's. One or the other would be just fine. Um, and, and for me, my ideal pub, it's, hard, it's easier for me to imagine what's not there than it is to, for me to imagine what is there. Okay. Um, you know, uh, uh, call me a cab if I walk into a pub and there are TVs on every single wall yeah. and people are not talking to each other. They're just watching sports or they're, you know, there's an ad blaring in the back. Uh, you know, find me, find me another bar. Um, to me, a pub is cozy. To me, a pub is uh, antique. There's something that is both... Uh, physically welcoming about it but also steeped in history mm -hmm. right um there's something about a museum that's sort of cold and off-putting and and not very tactile to me a pub is a living museum that's comfortable that is a beautiful way to think about it thank you <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately we don't have a ton of great places like that in sacramento there's a there's a couple pubs but not one just like that. Yeah. No, I um when I when I go back to England, one of my greatest joys is actually getting to go to old real pubs. Oh yeah. Cuz uh, I know uh, I know exactly what you mean. You walk in and even like every pub has a warm but stale smell. Mm. And it is just like a lovely smell. 
It's like, <laughs> you know, they stopped having cigarettes in there like 20 years ago, but you still know they're there. Um, <laughs> and like the it's carpet's never been face. changed. And yeah, there's just something so uh, welcoming about it that, uh, yeah, I totally get where you're coming from. I could imagine my ideal pub, everybody knows each other, even strangers who come in the door become good friends quickly and, and uh, you know, maybe not intimately, but, you know, close, hey, closeness. There's a closeness to a pub. If they have a good time, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Anything could happen at Galileo's, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds absolutely delightful. So we are now sitting... In Galileo's, a living museum, which I just think is the loveliest phrase that I've heard in such a long time. <laughs> and we are drinking your California Pale. So everyone, please come and join us at Galileo's and grab a pint. need to say a huge thank you to Edmund that was a really fun conversation and I am definitely brewing a jaggy little pale this summer because uh, by now you probably learned that I like my IPA so um, yeah the recipes in the show notes are again by kind permission of Edmund so please do brew and drink along with us and you know let me know how you get on with it And of course, thank you so much for listening. If you could leave us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcast, that'll just help other people find the show. If you want to reach out to us, possibly come on and share a pint with me. You can reach us at our website, thehomebrewpub.com, or email landlord at thehomebrewpub.com, or on social, at thehomebrewpub on Instagram and Twitter. And if, like me, you hate those annoying ads, well, we've got to keep the lights on here at the Homebrew Pub somehow. So consider joining our Patreon and becoming a Mug Club member. For $3 a month, you'll get access to ad-free versions of the episodes. But until then, grab your favorite pint, put your feet up, relax, don't worry, and have a homebrew. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers.